Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com and your official Giants podcast network. Paul Tatino and Super Bowl champion Jeff Fiegel's with you. Glad you guys could join us again today. Jeff, always good to speak with you as we continue our draft you, previews. Paul. Yeah, absolutely. We're all doing well. Uh, hopefully everybody else is doing just as good. Well, coming up later, we got some Giants news as well as some other things around the NFL. But first... We want to talk about our draft previews, and that means today we will address Penn State with Rich Scarcello. He is the assistant sports editor of the Reading Eagle, has covered the Nittany Lions for quite some time. And, Rich, it's very clear that the top prospect on the Penn State roster is edge rusher Yatir Gross Matos. What are your thoughts about him as he enters the NFL draft? Well, I think he's a great prospect, Paul. I think he's got an enormous potential. Uh, I would think he's going to add weight uh, in the NFL. He played at about 260, 265 uh, the last two seasons when he led Penn State in tackle, or excuse me, in sacks and tackles for loss. Um, he's got great length, his great wingspan. Um, he's got a, 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 a terrific first step uh, off the edge um, very productive really had a had a very very good game at out at Ohio State in November uh, in a in a 28-17 loss um, yeah I, I think he's got uh, enormous potential well listen I, I do too and I want him I don't think we're going to be able to get him <laughs> so, uh, with the Giants but I you know everything that I have heard everything that I have from this young man. Uh, one of the big things for me, Rich, and, and Paul knows this, and I know he agrees with me, is that we look at players that are going to come to the Giants um, that, or even in the NFL for that matter, that have extremely high character. I think this is, goes a long way with when you're going to invest a, a draft pick in the number one round, number two round, whatever. These guys got to be good people. And I, you know, reading about him, uh, obviously we know a little bit about the tragedies that he's dealt with in his life and has he been able to overcome those. Um, talk to me a little bit about his character, his locker room, uh, guys, how they like him, and just how he's going to fit in in that, in that role in the NFL. Well, when he, um, when he was at interview sessions with us, he's very soft-spoken, uh, very, very expresses a lot of humility. Uh, I know uh, in doing a big story on him last summer and in talking to, to um, his stepfather, who, who really raised him, um, he, he has tremendous character. It comes from a, a, a terrific family. And, you, you, Jeff, you mentioned uh, the unbelievable tragedies in his life. He lost his father in a drowning accident when he was two and lost his best friend, his, his uh, older brother, uh, in a... Uh, lightning strike on a little league field back when Yitor uh, was nine. Just awful, awful things. And he sort of came out of his shell uh, over the last year, uh, at least in public. Inside the locker room, you asked me about, very, very well respected, well regarded. Um, his teammates love him. Uh, and if, you, if you've already asked uh, Sean Spencer, Sean Spencer just can go on and on about him. Um, he's got, you know, he, he, his, he comes from an athletic family. His dad's a coach uh, in baseball and basketball. He's got a younger brother coming up who um, apparently has is is, got a lot of ability as well. 
Um, yeah, I, I think he would fit in well with the Giants. So a lot of things that I like about this young man is not only we know that he can get after the passer, um, the four three edge rusher guy, um, huh? seventeen and a half sacks as a two year starter. But the one thing that I love about him is the fact that he can play the run. Okay, you know, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they get out there, they don't really care about the run. Uh, Gross Matos tells me that he he respects the run and he can also get past the get to the quarterback. So talk to me a little bit about his run-stopping ability. Yeah, I thought he played the run uh, much more effectively this past year than he did to, uh, in 2018. And he sort of had a reputation as strictly a pass rusher. That was his sophomore year. But I, I thought he played the run much better. In fact, the whole Penn State defense played played the run much better last season. And, yeah, he's not afraid to mix it up. He's, he's not... He's, he's ex- I mean, from what I understand, he's extremely strong. He looks that way on the field. From what, from what the, the strength and conditioning folks at Penn State say, and I, and again, I, I mean, playing at two sixty or two sixty five, I'm guessing he can add at least another ten, fifteen pounds uh, once he gets to the NFL, and that's going to make him uh, even a better player, I think. Well then, Rich, let me ask you: As he goes pro, is he a four-three defensive end in your mind, or is he a three-four outside linebacker in your mind? How much do you think they'll use him with his hand in the dirt, and how much standing up? Because if you're standing up, you pretty much have to also show some cover skills. Yeah, I think he's more a four-three end. That's that's just my opinion. Just, I mean, Penn State runs a, a more or less a four-three. What they did too, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Um, often in in passing situations, they would move him inside. They would they would use four pass rushers, and it, that he, he had no trouble getting to the quarterback, or, or at least pressuring the quarterback, I should say, in those situations. So yeah, I, I don't see him as a stand up, uh, you know, an outside linebacker in a three four. I, I look at him more as a, a four three end. What is he going to have to improve on? Because right now he's not listed as the cream of the crop guys. I don't think too many people think he's a top five or a top ten pick. But yet when you talk about him to other people, they all gloat about him. So what? what's the blemish that he's going to have to polish up? Well, you know, I, I think there were times that um, in some games, not in big games, but in some games that um, you didn't really notice him. Uh, I don't know if, if if I want to call that inconsistent or not, but I just think sometimes teams were, you know, running away from him or, you know, rolling the quarterback to the other side of the field, that kind of thing. But I, I mean, I, I mean, I, do I think he's going to be a an all pro? I, I'm not sure, but I do know this: I think he's going to be a very, very good player uh, for I'll, I'll say at least five, six years at least, you know, you know, depending on things. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't get to see a lot of the other guys. I know I've seen uh, A.J. Epinesa play from Iowa, who I think is very good, uh, who's, a, who's a bigger guy. Uh, I think Etor is as good as better than, or better than him. I know Epinesa had, a, Epinesa had a, a really good reputation in the Big Ten, but I, I think Etor is just as good or better. So when you say, is he the best pass rusher in the draft? Will the Giants, you know, can the Giants take him at four? Uh, I'm not sure because I don't know enough about the other pass rushers, but I do know this, whoever gets him is going to get a really, really good player. 
I do too. I, I, I agree with you. I think that where, where he goes is going to be in the first, second round. That somebody's going to get a good player. Somebody's going to get a good person. Um, and, um, you know, just to the fact that I just like, I like the guy a lot. I really wish the Giants could use a little edge rusher, um, in my opinion. The next guy that we got on our list, uh, wide receiver K.J. Hamler. Um, a lot of people have him going, you know, there's a, a deep class of wide receivers this year. Um, I kind of see him maybe dropping down just into the second round because of that. Um, but the fact is that I like him as a slot receiver, blazing speed. I uh, saw a little bit of, on tape of him uh, this morning watching him. I will tell you this. He is uh, run after the catch. He is fun to watch. I'll tell you that. Well, he, a lot of people call him the human joystick, and he really has moves on the field. Yeah. Um, to me, his signature play was from the 2018, 2018 season, a uh, home game against Ohio State when he caught a slant pass maybe about eight or nine yards downfield, and literally he outran the Ohio State secondary to the end zone for a 93-yard touchdown. That, to me, that – that and I knew he was fast. When I saw that play two years ago, like, this guy has, you know, top, top flight speed. Um, he couldn't run or he didn't run at the combine, which I think um, – you know, I think people were, he was disappointed, I know that. And he was looking sure. forward to, to running at Penn State's Pro Day last month, but obviously it was canceled. Um, I think he's a dynamic, dynamic guy. Um, I wasn't sure whether he would come out only because of how deep the wide receiver class is this year. Uh, but whoever gets him in the second round is going to get a really, really good player. His drawback is that he struggled with drops last season. I think he had sure. 10 or 11. That was a problem. That was an issue. But in you, when you talk about speed and uh, escapability and moves, shifty, he's got, he, he's got it all. Let me ask you a quick, another question. Obviously, the more you can do, the better off you are in the National Football League. Tom, talk to me a little bit about his returner skills because I feel like a guy um, of his height and weight and his speed and quickness and elusiveness, he would be an outstanding punt returner or kickoff return guy. Jeff, you're exactly right, and he was for Penn State. Now, the numbers don't show that from last year, but he had, I'm going to say, at least – four or five 30-yard-plus returns, punt or kickoff returns that were called back because of penalty. He, he is an outstanding kick and punt returner and didn't have trouble with fumbles on that. I mean, he, he didn't have trouble with fumbles. He had trouble with drops. He, 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 held, he, was, he held the ball securely on returns. He could run away from people. Like I said, he has great moves. He, he, in the open field, he's as dangerous as anybody I've seen in the last few years other than Saquon. Um, he, you know, he's just, I, I, I think, like I said, if somebody gets him in the second round, they're going to get a, not only a dynamic wide receiver, they're also going to get a kick returner who can be a game breaker. Rich Scarcella of the Reading Eagle joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Rich, in terms of KJ, the one thing that I think maybe some folks will be a bit leery about, they're listing him at 5'9", 178. He did have that ACL uh, early when he was at Penn State. And I think the durability, if you can catch him, <laughs> durability may be an issue. Right, and that, and that is a question. 
question because uh, I think he was listed at, I, I think, generously at 175. He's probably closer to about 165. Um, but the thing is, Paul, he didn't miss a game uh, yeah. the last two years. You know, he, 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 he played every game, and uh, he took some hits. You know, he, he, took, he took some big hits. And, you know, he had some really uh, productive games. He had a, a really strong game out at Iowa and a primetime game at night. Had two touchdown catches against Michigan. Uh, had a big game in, the, in their close loss to Minnesota. He just, but, but the one thing that he had eight touchdown passes in his first uh, eight games, and then he didn't he didn't get to the end zone the last five games. Even though he he uh, he was he was productive, but uh, I, I I just I, I think he's I, I think the durability question. I think it's legitimate because of his size, but I don't see that as being a problem. Well, let's let's flip it back to defense then and talk about Robert Windsor, who's listed at six four two ninety. Now, the way I see it, I think he's going to be a, a very productive, athletic four three defensive tackle because I like his quickness off the snap and I like his motor. Now. The only thing that I worry about is how is he going to work with the, with the lack of power? He's going to have to get stronger, and I think he's going to have to do a lot better using his hands because in the NFL, these guys uh, these guys are pretty good in that offensive line. Yeah, I, I, I like Windsor. Uh, you know, I don't know where he's being projected exactly right now, but I uh, I, I I think he was one of the more underrated uh, players on Penn State's defense the last two years. Um, you know, I, I think he, you know, he, he had a way to get into the backfield. I know, um, you know, the people analyzing his film think that, you know, he's got trouble with his hands or anything, but I, I, uh, I don't think he had, um, I think he got to the, into the backfield quite a bit. I'm trying to find his exact numbers, but, um, I, I like Robert Windsor. I, I like his attitude. Um, he's a guy that really, uh, came there heavier than he is now, came to Penn State heavier than he is now, and really, really worked in, into becoming a productive player. Um, yeah, I, I, he, had a, he had a terrific game out at Iowa um, in the middle of the season in a very tight win uh, for Penn State against a really good offensive line. Um, and and I, I, I like him a lot. I do. Well, I think as a penetrator, he's the kind of guy who can, can shoot gaps and to me, yes. that's where that's where his strength is, and and that's why I said I'm a little concerned about his power in his hands because Rich, I'm not sure he can take guys on mano a mano. He's going to have to be a little more elusive. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, may, you know, may, you might be right, Paul, but I, I mean, I'm I'm just going by what I saw the last two years, and he just had a knack to to shoot the gap and to get into the backfield and to pressure the quarterback. Now, um, I don't. I think he had. A, well, I know he didn't have a tremendous number of sacks. I think he had like three or four last or three. Um, but I'm telling you, he made he made life miserable uh, for a lot of centers and guards in the Big Ten lot the last two years. Well, you do you had mentioned how good that Penn State run defense was last year. I'm sure he was part of that. I don't know how much of a rotational player he was, but uh, he certainly brought a lot to that. The other guy I want to talk about staying on the defense. Doesn't look like there's a lot of um, offensive players this year prospects in the draft for Penn State. But John Reed is a quarterback, five foot ten, hundred eighty-seven pounds. Um, to me, uh, he's going to look like a, a competitive, like a, a nickel back. 
a guy that, um, you know, has a lot of passion. I'm reading about him, a lot of football IQ, understands the game extremely well. Uh, but I think that sometimes his physical limitations could hurt him a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about John Reed and, and how sure. you feel dealing the pros. Yeah, I like John Reed. He's a, he's a very, as you mentioned, Jeff, he's a very cerebral guy, uh, built his own computer uh, <laughs> while he was at Penn State. No, seriously. Um, he, he is a, 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 an extremely devoted to watching film and, and, and to preparation. And he, he struggled. He, he missed the whole, he missed the 20, I'm trying to think what year, 2017 season with, with a, with a knee injury, with an ACL. And he came back and he struggled early in the 18 season, but he got better. And last year, I thought he played really well. And he had a great performance against uh, Memphis in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, Memphis put up a lot of passing yards, but they didn't do it against him. Uh, he, he, anytime they threw in his direction, uh, I'm not even sure if they completed a pass. Uh, I think he's, he's got great instincts. Um, you know, he, maybe he's not the most athletic guy in the world. And maybe you're right, maybe as a nickelback, he could be effective. Uh, but nobody prepares better uh, than John Reed. And that, that that's a lot of the Penn State folks tell us that. And a lot of times there's, there's guys, certain guys, uh, they may not be the most athletic and great players, but if they're smart and know the game and they're in the right position to make plays, that certainly a lot of times overcomes some of their abilities. So that sounds like a lot like John Reed. Yeah, he, he was rarely out of position. I mean, he he was always in the right position. Um, didn't give up uh, too many big plays. Uh, you know, I, I I think, like I said, I, I think his his reputation at Penn State was was as a um, cerebral guy um, who knew uh, knew how to cover receivers. Um, you know, and did a, it was very effective. Uh, with positioning, always in the, in the right place, and and was the was the team leader. He was, um, you know, he he led that secondary the last couple of years. I, yeah, I, I think I don't know where he's being projected again, but I, I can tell you this: I, I I can see him being an effective player in the NFL. Rich, could you give us a, a little bit of a compare and contrast on how his skill set compares to Grant Haley, who came to the Giants as a rookie? and actually showed a lot of flashes, and then last season certainly had trouble and is looking for a rebound year. Grant has uh, excellent speed. I don't think, I, well, I know John isn't as fast as Grant. Grant, uh, you know, Grant is a guy who, um, you know, they played together, I'm trying to think, I guess in eight, no, not in 18, in 16, maybe, yeah, in 16, when they, the year the Penn State won the Big Ten Championship, they they, they were playing a lot of corner together. Uh, Grant, yeah, Grant has tremendous, tremendous speed. Uh, but I like John Reed a little better just because I, what I said, he not only, um, he, he just he just has great instincts and always seems to be in the right position. And if you watch that Cotton Bowl game, just watch some of the, the passes that were thrown. There were many, probably maybe three or four, the ones thrown in his direction. He he was right there. He was right there. And, and, and uh, you know, made 
uh, made it difficult uh, for Memphis when they tried to throw the ball to his side of the field. Well, I got I to gotta go to Cam Brown next because this is a guy who really intrigues me. Rich, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how high his floor is, but I think his upside, if he adds some strength, I got a feeling that at 6'5", 233, he could be a dangerous outside linebacker pass rusher coming off the edge who has not reached his full potential. Yeah, he, he um, Cam, Cam had a really solid senior year. Um, you know, probably didn't get post-season, as much post excuse me, postseason recognition as I thought he might. Um, I, I thought he had a really, really good year. He finished third on the team in tackles. Um, seemed to be in the middle of a lot of things and, and always seemed to be just like a tick away for making a, a really, really big play. But he's a, he's got really, really good speed. Uh, and, Paul, as you mentioned, I think he could add a few pounds to his frame and get stronger. Uh, he's very long. He's, he's about 6'5". And, uh, you know, I could see him playing, you know, outside linebacker for, for in, in a 4-3 or maybe even in a 3-4. Um, yeah, yeah, he's, he's very intriguing. And I, and I agree, he hasn't come close to his potential yet. And it, it, there, I think there's a high ceiling for him as well. Those are the five guys who got the most ink when the NFL Combine was in Indianapolis. But there are two other guys who haven't gotten as much ink that also intrigue me, and I'd like you to discuss them for a moment. One is Steven Gonzalez, who is just just a moose uh, along the offensive line, and I got a hunch that at the very least, uh, maybe late third day, someone's going to take a look at him, if not for anything else but because of his size, his frame, and his power. And then Nick Bowers at tight end is also a real curiosity to me for a team that may want to run a double tight end set who needs a strong guy who's going to be able to effectively block out of that formation. What are your thoughts on those two guys? Steven Gonzalez is, is, is a wonderful young man who uh, um, played a lot of football at Penn State and, and thought about coming out after his junior year and made the right decision to stay last season. And I thought he had a really uh, solid year uh, you know, up on the offensive line, uh, yeah, you, like you said, uh, he's, a, he's a huge guy. My only question, he's a guard, uh, my only question is his speed and his burst. Uh, you know, and he's, I know he's been working to try to improve that, but, but he, he moved some ground, uh, he, moved, he moved some people around last year. Uh, you know, obviously look at, you know, they, they ran for almost 400 yards against Memphis in the Cotton Bowl. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, I hope, I hope for his sake and I hope he gets a shot because, uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he's coachable and, you know, I think in the right system, he, he, he could help a team. Uh, as for Nick Bowers, Nick had an injury play career, uh, was, was a three or four, I can't remember now off the top of my head, a three or four star recruit coming out of Western PA. Um, and last year he really emerged as a very nice uh, option when they when Penn State used the two tight ends with Pat Fryermuth, who next year is going to be a first-round pick. Uh, um, Nick Bowers had, like, I think he had 10 catches and, you know, maybe had um, two touchdowns, but, but he made some he, – he, he was a very effective weapon when teams focused uh, their defense on Fryermuth and Hamler. Uh, 
our last season. Part of my other job that I do is I, I do a lot of real estate stuff, and I try to help some of the players and coaches when they move here to find houses. And I was able to work with Sean Spencer and his wife Allison on finding a house, and I've gotten to know him over the last few months. And he is an amazing guy. I mean, he is full of energy. I'll let you get into chaos where that comes from. But the fact yeah. is, is that I do know that he is going to be a coach. He's so excited to be at this level. Um, and he sees himself as being a dynamic coach, a lot of energy, getting his players to really play for him. I'm just yeah. sure I'm, I'm echoing a lot of things that happened at Penn State. So talk to me a little bit about him. And I, I'm just so excited to see him coach. Uh, I've been able to see him behind the scenes, but I want to see him what he does on the field. Well, he had, he worked uh, for James Franklin um, since James got the Vanderbilt job in 2011. So he had been on uh, – he worked for James for, what's that, nine years. Um, what, in his time at Penn State, um, I knew he was from – Jeff, you'll know this, the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference, which was which is a really good Division II conference here in, in Pennsylvania. He played there and he coached there. Uh, Sean what, what, what told me that he was a tremendous coach was not only the production of Penn State's defensive line and the consistency of Penn State's defensive line over these last six years, but that his players absolutely loved him, were committed to him, dedicated. I mean, he, he's coached before Anthony Zettel, Austin Johnson, Carl Nassib, uh, Kevin Givens, Sharif Miller, Curtis Cawthron, they've all played in the NFL or have been in NFL camps. And now he has Gross Matos and Robert Windsor coming, hopefully, you know, for, hopefully for, you know, coming into the league this year. So well, he's going to have Austin Johnson again, too. So. Correct. I, I was going to say that. He's, I, I love, yeah, Austin Johnson, yeah, that, that, that he's... He's one of my favorites. Before you go on with Coach Spencer, yeah. what is it about Johnson you like so much? We might as well get a scouting report on him, too. Well, well, here's what you need to ask when you when you meet him, or if you have met him. Uh, he used to be a competitive swimmer. <laughs> and, um, I'm serious. This was like when he, yeah, oh yeah, when he was when he was in middle school, and I think up at, I think maybe up till ninth grade. Oh yeah. And he just had a uh, an enthusi- an infectious enthusiasm for the game when he was at Penn State, and you know it doesn't surprise me that he ended up with the Giants after uh, after Sean got the job there. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I like Austin. Austin, he's a fun kid. I mean, he's not a kid anymore, but he's a fun guy. Fun guy. Uh, getting back to, to Sean, yeah, he he um, he has this moniker. He's Coach Chaos. Um, but the wild dog, that's somebody, I forget. Um, oh, it was um, the strength and conditioning coach, Dwight Gall, gave him that uh, several years ago. But he calls his guys the wild dogs because when he w- was a child in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, he was infatuated with animals and would watch National Geographic shows, and he became intrigued by the wild dogs. And... Um, because he said because they were the way they hunted and that they were pretty vicious and that they would stick together. So that that's how the, the, the defensive gotcha. line of Penn State he would he anointed them the wild dogs and they were. I mean, over these last six years, there's there's no argument that was the most consistent and most successful position at Penn State uh, since James Franklin arrived. There's no doubt about that. 
and they call him Coach Chaos because of his energy and his and his frenetic enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. Correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's he's, he's got this shirt. Yeah, he's got this larger than life personality. Um, and he met Franklin um, when the two were assistant coaches in the PSAC. Franklin was a, in his first year; he was a GA at Kutztown, which is near here. And Sean was at Chippensburg, and they were at a recruiting night, and they got to know each other. And then, eventually, down the road, uh, James hired Sean. And um, and I, honestly, I don't think Sean Sean doesn't leave Penn State if it wasn't for the right situation. Uh, I think the fact that I think Jeff, you would know this. I think Allison is she from New Jersey? Yeah, or she's from, actually from, no, she's from Long Island. Oh, from Long Island. Excuse me. I knew she was from the area. And I think that probably persuaded him to take the job, and the fact that it's a, obviously a step up to the NFL. But I think uh, he was a guy that if he if he didn't do do a move like this or become a head coach, I think he would have been at Penn State for a long, long time. Let me go off of that yeah. wild dogs thing that he calls the defensive sure. lineman. I had heard that he gives the lineman dog tags as part of his yes. his ritual. Explain yes. that if you could. And also that apparently every week he has meals with these guys, which is something a lot of coaches don't usually do. Under James Franklin, the Penn State staff usually does that. The the position coach has a dinner with guys uh, once a week. Okay. Um, But, yeah, it's, um, you know, I'll give you, here's here's what Windsor said about Spencer. This is, I'm looking at my story from last year. I got here at Penn State and I was a little boy. He helped me grow into a man. Um, and you know, he, I guess Robert as a freshman, he said, I'll drink alcohol now and I'll feel great. And then I realized, uh, you know, he he set a good example and he stopped drinking as a freshman and his positivity has been, has been huge. He's been a huge part of my success. And and basically the the main thing to know about that, Robert Windsor said that Sean Spencer helped him become a man and every, almost to a, to a, a, a defensive lineman at Penn State, they all say the same thing about him. Uh, I mean, it's just it, it's just amazing how, how much these guys trust him, uh, play for him. Um, you know, it's crazy. But getting back to the wild dogs, yeah, he um, he does give out dog tags, and that shows it's kind of a you know the the pack mentality, if you will, and that they um, they're playing for each other. And that's that's the whole, um, the main reason behind the dog tags, that they're all playing for each other. Guys who are coming into Penn State are young, maturing adults. In the NFL, he's going to be dealing with a lot of guys who are a lot older, who are veterans, who have already kind of earned their spots. Do you think a lot of the stuff that he did that made him so great at Penn State will also translate when he's dealing man-to-man as opposed to man-to-maturing guy. Yeah, I think it'll work, you know, maybe not with the dog tag thing or, you know, you know the, the shirts, the wild dog shirts. I, I don't know if that'll work. I, I, I'm not sure. But I know this. Uh, I know he – I would be shocked if he doesn't make a strong connection with his position group. Uh because he has that kind of personality. He's very char- he's charismatic. Um, he's easy to talk to. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I, I don't think that'll be an issue. 
Well, one thing we got to understand, too, then if you're sitting in that defensive line room, you know who the oldest person in that room is going to be? It's going to be Austin Johnson. <laughs> Everyone else is, is, is younger than he is. So if you talk about you know, older veterans and things like this, I think it's a perfect lineup for him to come in. Uh, you know, we've got some young guys, Tomlinson, Lawrence. Mm-hmm. These guys are guys that are that are hungry to win. They came from great programs, obviously, and they uh, they, they want a coach like this that's going to give them this. And I think it's going to be a great mix of players and him being yeah. in that room. It's just going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, he's the motivator, and and, and and that'll work. I think that'll work in the NFL just as it worked in college. Of I mean, course. he's been around. He's coached forever. He knows... He knows how to how to how to motivate players and how to how to connect with them. So I I just don't I, I see him as being a success. I I do. That is Rich Scarcello, the assistant sports editor of the Reading Eagle, with his coverage of the Penn State Nittly Lions. Jeff, they obviously have a handful of very intriguing prospects, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Can't say enough about Gross Matos. Problem being, if you're the Giants at four. You're probably not going to go for him there, and I don't necessarily think he gets all the way down to 36. Yeah, me either. I I, I like this guy a lot. I just like the intangibles that he has, and I think this is such a tremendous upside uh, to this individual. I mean, he can play in a 4-3. He can play in a 3-4. They are not going to take him at 4, as Rich was saying. I mean, we'll take Simmons before him. But I I will tell you, I think that he's good enough to to probably – I would say just from what I've been reading and all the mock drafts of the world, they have him going, you know, I think the highest I had it that, that somebody had him was like 18th to like the Dolphins. Um, but I think like the Vikings are in there, um, you know, lower, lower first round. But, you know, unless something happens, Paul, and he drops to that fourth spot in the second round. I mean, if he's sitting there, you know, I, and I've gone on record saying that I'd like to go offensive line here at, at center at the second position. Um, but I wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't upset me if he was sitting there that the Giants took him. So we'll see what happens. Intriguing. And by the way, good conversation about Coach Spencer, Coach Chaos, because I, I am so excited about this guy to come in here and teach these guys, these young guys, um, a little bit about camaraderie, a little bit about our competitiveness. One thing I do know, Paul, from getting to know him pretty well, is that he's a straight shooter. He's going to tell you the way it is. Um, if you're going to earn your way onto that football field. And if you do, you'll still start. If not, you'll sit down. And that's just the way it's going to be with him. And, and they're going to be able to create that competitiveness and that competition that Coach uh, uh, wants every single day. And I think that you're going to see that. Well, I think one of the interesting things that some of these teams around the league who have new coaching staffs will have in their back pocket are guys who have maybe come from major college programs within the last year yeah. because they're going to have great familiarity with a lot of these guys who are entering the draft. And, I mean, you talk about Coach Spencer coming out of Penn State. Of course. He, know, he knows everybody in he that conference. He's seen them all. Yeah. And, and he's going to be able to give his own firsthand scouting report to the Giants uh, personnel department to kind of add whatever spices he can, if you'll allow me, uh, you know, to, to use a, a food <laughs> analogy, right, to whatever it is that they saw. Well, I, of course, and I, I think that, you know, I don't know the exact amount of coaches that are new to the National Football League on the on the co- on the, the Giants, but I know there's there's quite a few of them that are coming out of the college ranks this year. So 
Yes, that's going to be, and I feel like the term familiarity has been our buzzword, right? I mean, I think with we've been using that a lot for recruiting, okay? Those guys have all recruited, so now these guys are going to, they know the guys coming out of college, so that's the first one. Second one is just familiarity with, with systems, whether it's free agents, guys coming to the Giants now that have been with coaches that have been in systems before, you know, the offensive line coach. We talk about, the, you know, those types of things. So these are very important aspects as the world that we live in today and the way that things are going who knows when these players are going to get back together and be able to hopefully they're going to be getting their playbook soon you know because they got to start getting in the books they got to start learning plays and systems well right now it's not books it's uh tablets yeah well because i just dated myself sorry yeah tablets actually tablets weren't those the things used by fred flintstone and bedrock <laughs> yeah the bed <laughs> yeah, you're really you're really dating yourself then let's call them ipads that way there's no confusion about it, right all right. Hey, we do have some Giants news to let you guys in on over the course of the last couple of days, and Jeff hasn't been on the program, so I certainly want to get his take on this. Kicker Aldrich Rosas signed his restricted free agent contract. Heck yeah. The Giants had made a qualifying offer of a second-round tender for him on March 16th. You and I are both big fans of Rosas, and now he for sure is back in the fold because prior to signing the deal, he could have gotten an offer sheet from someone else. He could have, and I think that what you're seeing in the league now is these guys are signing these things pretty quickly. Um, I think in the past people might have waited a little bit just to see if something was going to happen, but burden of hands worth two in the bush, man. If that thing is hanging out there at three-point-something million, I am taking it and running um, for a kicking position. And by the way, you know, this solidifies now that grouping that I talk about all the time, Paul, mm -hmm. that snapper, that holder, that kicker. Well, they got all three now. Okay, so this should be a nice, consistent group going forward, and I think this is what the Giants wanted to do. They wanted to get Rosas back. They wanted to get a long snapper with a pedigree. They went out and got one with a Pro Bowl pedigree. They've got uh, Riley Dixon, who is going to be a, a really good player for a long time. We've shown how good he's been over the last couple of years. So this solidifies that package, that snapper, holder, and kicker. Well, again, it's great to see Rosas back, and I think the Giants are certainly hoping he can return to that 2018 form. My goodness, Jeff, 32 out of 33, including a 57-yard long. I mean, he it's was a, as automatic yeah. as they could possibly come. I used to call him the robo kicker when he was <laughs> when he was getting it done that year. Well, listen, and we've talked about this enough. It, it, once you get that operation down and it's smooth, it's going to happen. He's a good kicker. He's got plenty of leg. Uh, he's the kind of guy you want to have in New York for the for the times that there you're going to need a strong leg to get through a you know a kick to win the game maybe from 35 yards when nobody else is sending their kicker out on the field. Alger can be the guy to kick it through and win the game. All right, another piece of Giants news, and this one kind of goes right close to your heart there, Mr. Fiegels. On Sunday, April 12th at 3 p.m., Fox is going to re-air Super Bowl 42. If memory serves correct, that was in Arizona, right? You, you were yeah, there, it was. weren't you? Yeah, actually, it was Glendale, Arizona. <laughs> to be, I know exactly where that's at. And yep. could you could you kindly tell me the final score of that game? It was uh, actually it was 17 to 14. Um, Giants win, by the way. Who'd they be? Uh, the team up north from, you know, I think it's New England Patriots, I think their name is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody told me they were undefeated going into that well, game. Well, they were undefeated, Paul. For, you know, <laughs> if you want to wake up, they were 18-0 and going into that game and ended up 18-1 and in the season. Great season for that Patriot team, other, other than the fact that they didn't win at all. Um, and then I sounded like, I'm sounding like Donald Trump now. Uh, the, too bad. Too bad for those guys, right? Yeah. Um, but listen, it was, uh, what a day, what a week, what a season that was, and, 
You've mentioned to it before, Paul. I have not watched that game uh, in its entirety since it happened. Uh, Sunday might be the day I just sit down and put my butt on the couch and celebrate Easter and that 42 win. 3 o'clock Eastern time on Fox, the re-air of Super Bowl 42. And simultaneously, if you follow the Giants on Twitter, uh, at Giants, there will be a lot of extras there, little videos and different nuggets and and all kinds of fun stuff that the Giants are going to have uh, in celebration of the re-airing of Super Bowl 42, one that uh, has given Jeff Fiegels his Super Bowl championship ring. Yes. Absolutely. I love that ring, by the way. Man, it's a beauty. <laughs> I it wouldn't expect you to say anything else. Uh, and there's a lot of people that like it, too. And I wear it proudly. And, uh, you know, it's funny because a lot of people always ask me, and I'm sure there's fans listening to the show that would want to know the same thing. Do you, how often do you wear it? Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I don't wear it a lot because it is big. Um, and But when I do wear it is when I'm going to go somewhere where I know there's going to be fans. And that's usually autograph sessions or, you know, when we go and do our show at the stadium on game day, yes. I usually have it on there because there's always people that like to see it. Um, in fact, people tell me all the time, where's your ring if I forget to bring it? Where's your ring? I'm like, I feel I feel naked without it if I go to the stadium. Mm-hmm. But um, that's when I wear it. I don't wear it out to the grocery store. I don't wear it out in the, uh, you know, in the yard or anything like that. Just when I go out to see fans because they love it just as much as I do and love to get a picture with it. Um, I'll tell you some of the greatest times I have is when we do some stop and shop. Uh, we do some autograph sessions and I sit there for an hour and a half at the grocery store and people come up and ask me, they always, always take pictures with the ring, you know? And now I remember years ago, I think it might've been the nine ninety season. Uh, Stephen Baker has one. I know Sean Lindetta. So that's 90, right? I think yeah. that's the 90. Yeah. And Parcells was the coach. Yes. Um, he, they all got mini Super Bowl trophies, and and he brings that. I, Stephen Baker, I've done a couple of appearances with him. He brings that trophy with him every time, mm. and I love that trophy. I wish I had one of those, but I asked him. I said, "Where can I get one of those?" You think he goes? Well, you can go to Tiffany's. They make them. They're ten grand. <laughs> I'm like, okay, no kidding. Yeah, they're expensive. I mean, really expensive. Now, I don't know if they're authentic Tiffany's from when Parcel, but all, the whole team got them that year. So. I was uh, I love to see it because I do see some pictures sometimes of uh, Super Bowl champions in the background if they're doing things like today where everybody has the bookshelves, you know, all those interviews. Everybody has those books. Do you think they have ever read all those books, Paul? No. No. But no. there are occasions sometimes there'll be a <laughs> Super Bowl trophy behind there. I love that look. Yeah, it's it's up. very cool. I just didn't know that, that it was available to buy. I thought you actually yeah, had to win one. Well, no, I'm, they, well, listen, I don't think I mean, think can you, I buy one? No, I never, no. I never played in the game. No, but can I don't I buy think one? so. No, no, I don't I think so. I, I think you have to be a Super Bowl winner to buy one of those things. Okay. I mean, why would you, why would you buy one anyways? You know? I mean, I have seen people have. Because these. I'd want to put it on the bookshelf behind my video conference. Uh, <laughs> of course you would. You'd like to have all four of those there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, anyway, great stuff. And again, that is Sunday, April 12th, 3 o'clock Eastern Time on Fox, the re airing of Super Bowl 42 when Jeff Eagles and company uh, knock off the undefeated Patriots for the Vince Lombardi Trophy. Now, in addition, we also want to mention that the NFL has announced they will host a draft-a-thon to benefit the COVID-19 relief efforts and pay tribute to healthcare workers and others on the front lines of the pandemic. 
In fact, uh, you know, the draft is going to be held April 23rd to the 25th on ABC, ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and the NFL Network. And the funds that are raised will support six national nonprofits and their respective COVID-19 relief efforts. And, uh, you know, if you go to the Giants website, there are more details on each of those charities. And certainly, if you guys want to do anything you can to support them, uh, we certainly would uh, would encourage that as well. Jeff, uh, the league trying to find everything that they can do to turn this into a positive experience. Well, first of all, I think it's it's an an amazing idea. Uh, second of all, I think it's going to be the most watched anything on TV because the, the everybody is just dying for some professional content sports-wise, right? And I think this is going to be the first upcoming thing that's going to be live, the fact that it has an impact on the sports world. I mean, everything else is we're tired of watching reruns and we're tired of watching this and that. This is real. This is part of the National Football League landscape, and I think what a better – what better platform can you have with everybody tuning in about raising some money for the, uh, those six charities that you mentioned? Uh, what a great opportunity. And I think it's like, you know, back in the day when they had, you know, We Are the World and uh, Food. What was the one? They have all these fundraisers they've done over the over farm years. Farm Aid. That was yeah, Farm one. Aid, those sure. kinds of things. So um, certainly this is going to go a long ways, and uh, hopefully people will donate and the NFL can raise a tremendous amount of money. Now, it has been reported by, I believe, NFL Network and and some of the other broadcast uh, niche publications that uh, it is believed Roger Goodell will be in an isolated uh, area, perhaps even his home, and video conference the selections. Obviously, something much different than what we've seen in recent years, where there was a big party and a big hoopla. The the virus has impacted every single facet of our lives. Jeff, let me ask you this. I know you were a punter and you weren't drafted, but from a player's perspective, you're coming out of college. One of your dreams in life is to play in the National Football League and, of course, get your name announced at the podium. Hey, we understand what the reality is, and I'm not in any way disrespecting the situation. But as a player, would it matter to you if the commissioner announced it at a podium in front of thousands and thousands of people or if he simply announced it in his in his seat in front of a camera and you got to see it on TV and, you know, you still were able to uh, appreciate the fact that your name got called? Well, I think first of all, that's I think you hit the nail on the head. I would just appreciate that my name got called would be the first thing. Um, I think you know me well enough to know that I I don't have an agenda on a lot of stuff, and so this wouldn't bother me. Mm-hmm. I I think what would be great is to if they can do this, the NFL needs to set up Roger Goodell's wherever he's going to do this, a lot like him walking up to a podium, and because I think you want to have some, you know some symmetry there. I mean, you want, you want to have it as real as you can. Um, and so he can make it easily, you know, look, look like he's at a podium or maybe have the podium in his house, walk up, announce the name. And you know, there you have it. And, uh, does he own a mansion that they have room to build a set inside his basement? <laughs> well, I would imagine. So, um, yes, I believe he probably does. And, okay. and you know, it's probably big enough to have social distancing. So somebody could come in and, and create that for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, to answer your question, I think it's, it's a rarity, obviously that this is happening. Um, I would take uh, solace in the fact that I was able to, have my name called on day one, <laughs> maybe day two, maybe day three. I don't know. But the fact is, is that at least I'm, my name is being called. 
and um, and that I wouldn't want to wait, to be honest with you. I would want to have it get over with quickly because, um, you know, the anticipation. I mean, think about all the talk that we've done of these draft prospects, and every every day we're talking about these people. Can you imagine getting it pushed back another month? These poor guys would be – I would hate it. I'd be like, come on. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, I, the reason in my mind that this is going on, Paul, is because – these young guys are going to have to learn systems sooner or later. And so the faster that they can get associated with the team, it's easier to sign these guys nowadays because of the, you know, the, 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 the cap, the salaries for the draft picks are pretty much set, right? So it's not hard to sign these guys and get them information and get them to start learning about the game that they're going to be playing, whether it's offense, defense, special teams, whatever. They got to start studying. And because um, who knows when they're going to be able to meet together. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's, it's something that uh, certainly they'll be cracking on with the uh, video tablets and iPads right. and everything that they've got at their disposal as soon as they possibly can and find out where it is that they're going to be uh, landing. All right, uh, let's move on to some other NFL news real quick, Jeff, to give you a chance to comment before we try to hit a couple of Twitter questions. Uh, That would be, number one, the pass interference review, which was introduced last season, was supposed to be a one-time, one-year experiment and then to be brought up again this offseason. Uh, NFL Network's Jody Batista has uh, written some stuff about this in the last few days, indicating that it does not look like the re- PI review will be back in 2020. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, you you said experiment. It sure was. <laughs> it was definitely an experiment. Uh, this I don't lose sleep over this one whatsoever. I I think that it was a mess, and uh, you know I don't. I it's just it. It just made everybody angry every Sunday because uh, typically they didn't ever got it right. And it was never just it was just a, it's a bad, bad rule change. And I think that they learned that their their lesson. And this is a good thing. They have rescinded it. and We're not doing it anymore. So there you go. All right. Now, on the other side of the ledger, something that may be coming in for the upcoming season is the possibility of the sky judge. The same reports coming virtue of NFL Network and others saying that there is some consideration being given uh, within some powers within the league that they might just want to tinker with the Sky Judge officials, something that has been going on in the CFL now for several years. All right, well, explain to me and others what the Sky Judge is actually means, Paul. Well, the Sky Judge is a is a NFL official who sits upstairs in the press box and has the opportunity, and again, they're trying to figure out if they're going to do something like this, what the parameters would be. Would it be something that he sees at any time during the game that's egregious? Would it be something that he sees in only the final two minutes of a half or, or the final two minutes of the game itself? Uh, there are a lot of different parameters under which they're, they're contemplating, but the bottom line is you would have a guy upstairs with his video uh, in front of him with the ability to buzz downstairs and say, hey, hold on, guys, we, we got we to check on this. That, that, in the most simplistic terms, is okay. what they're talking about. Well, I have to – okay, very simplistic. My question would be, is he up in the booth – as an extra official that is that is actually officiating on every play that hey the 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 you know they missed a holding call here that should should have been holding on that guy 
Bing, bing. Hey, Joe, throw the flag. There's holding on 76 to right tackle. You guys missed it. Well, for example, the playoff game with the Saints and the Rams, which kind of prompted people to push forth the one-year experiment of the pass interference review last year, would have been a play that one would believe the sky judge would have hit the buzzer for. So you said egregious. So these are egregious plays, things that are really that, okay, I see what you're saying. Um, I'm all for it. I'm all for the sky judge, as long as it doesn't become overwhelmingly used constantly. You know, there's the stop, stop as you play, this and that. But there's no question in my mind that the more officiating eyes you get on a football field, and if they do it the right way, the better off the game will be. All right. Now, a couple of other proposals that have been put forth, and uh, this particular article coming from uh, WRUF Radio, an ESPN affiliate, indicating that the Philadelphia Eagles apparently have uh, have asked some people to consider potentially a restoring of the overtime to 15 minutes. Remember, it went back to 10 minutes in 2017. Uh, Eagles apparently are trying to see if they can get some support to bring it back to 15 minutes. Uh, also, they're talking about uh, potentially an alternative to the onside kick. And this one i got to run by you, Jeff, because I know special teams are such a, a close yeah. thing to your heart. Uh, supposedly, what the Eagles are saying is maybe after a score, the trailing team would have one play to gain 15 yards from its own 25-yard line. If the team succeeds, the trailing team maintains possession. Now, that's something that the owners voted down. It was something very close to that last year. I don't know what the wording was specifically, but the Eagles have kind of tried to revitalize that idea with with a small tweak. Last two minutes, you said? Um, Does not say the last two minutes. From what I can read, they're, they're just saying that the team has the opportunity to do that at any time. Hmm. Well, so let me ask you this. Uh, and by the way, I'm all for it. I'm all for it because I just I'm just tired of seeing the onside the the planned onside kick. To me, is the most boring thing ever. It's such a crapshoot who wins the, the who gets the ball, right? Um, I don't know. I don't even know what the statistics are, but they're very high that the receiving team recovers the ball. The the thing that I don't want to see happen is that the onside kick is taken out of the game completely because I believe that surprise onside kick is a very is a big strategy behind some special teams plays. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't want to see that taken away. Um, but I think the the proposed, like if you know that it's going to be an onside kick where they line up six guys on one side and six guys on the other and they kick the ball that, then I, I say get away with that and do what you're saying. I, I agree with that. But do not take the onside surprise onside kick away. I want to see that stay. Um, I don't know why. There's got to be a reason why the Eagles want to go back to 15 minutes. Um, but listen, I, it's 10, I don't know. Do you want to make the games longer? I mean, they're already long enough. Um, do we need to see more? Um, I, I, I say the 10 minutes fine. I don't have a problem with that. So no, don't change that one either. Change. Don't change that one, but change the onside kick rule. I'll take that. All right, let's go to Twitter. We'd like to hit some Twitter questions before we sign off for the afternoon. Lewin Tuckwell says, and of course, folks, remember, you can always go to Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat, uh, if you want to hit us up there, or at Jay Fiegels, or or at GiantsWFAN is my handle. And uh, obviously, the Giants also have a, a website, which you could also uh, get the BBK uh questions up on it would be uh, giants.com slash podcast slash bbk questions 
Uh, this one, as I uh, go back to the other screen, this one comes from, uh, did I lose it? Oh, Ted Crum. Ted Crum says uh, he's, the snapping was inconsistent last season, yep. and Rosas needed everything to be perfect timing-wise to be successful. He thinks that uh, the former Broncos long snapper, and you can address his skills, should also help with the consistency. 100%. We've talked about that from the beginning. That would be Kreider. That would be Kreider, yeah. And, and I said it earlier on the show. You know, if you get all three of those, the hold, the snap, the kick going, look what happens. The year before when uh, Rosas went to the Pro Bowl, that was in a that was smooth as silk. Uh, things were compromised last year, and Zach Diossi will tell you that. And they went out and got they fixed it. They went out and got a snapper, and now that's going to be a huge benefit for Aldrick. He's going to have a lot of confidence. Listen, those guys, kickers are like are golfers. They're like golfers, right? If you if you're consistently missing those little two foot putts, it begins to get in your head because you, just something's missing, right? Once you get your confidence back, and that confidence from a kicker standpoint starts from the snap. Then the kick is per the hold is good. Then the kick is going to be good. Don't lose sight of this though. Everything doesn't have to be perfect for him to make a kick. In fact, you never you don't want a guy thinking that because you're going to have to make some kicks that that the operation is compromised. Right? Um, you're supposed to make every kick. That's just the way it works. But ne- nev- it's not going to be perfect every single time. But it should be perfect at least 90 to 95 percent of the time. And that other five to 10 percent, you're going to have to make an adjustment and make the damn kick. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> All right, Adam Lazar White says um, either pick Isaiah Simmons or trade down if they want to go offensive tackle, because if they could go to nine and 20 by making a deal with Jacksonville, they could get their offensive tackle and also pick up an edge rusher at 20. Uh, there are people who can. can continue to suggest that the Giants should try to make a deal for the Jaguars outside linebacker uh, Nagakwe. Uh, I don't see that, but I, I understand that the star power of his name is attractive to some fans. It certainly is, but I, it just depends on what you're going to need to, what are they asking for him? You know, I don't know that we don't know that. No, they haven't come out and said, this is what it's going to take to get him. Um, I'm more on, on the, I'm on, the first part of that question. If you're going to trade down, I think there is enough, as you call them, red chippers, Paul, mm-hmm. to still be able to get yourself a nice offensive lineman or a, or a center. Uh, to me, I'm in. I am in search of the third round pick. I need a third round pick, other than 99. Somehow, some way, get me that pick. Okay, and that's probably going to have to be trading down, and then then we're good. I just don't want to go from. Number the third, the second round pick at number thirty six is it, um, right? To ninety nine. In fact, I was looking uh, at the draft tracker today, and there were some people, you know, doing the tr- the the mock drafts, and I went from <laughs> thirty six, and I just started page down, page down, page down. Oh my good, you got to be kidding me! Okay, oh wow, that's a that's a steep drop. It is. That's, that's like going out in the ocean where they call it the canyon. Like New Jersey, you kind of go out, it's like 20 feet of water, 20 feet of water, 30 feet of water, 60 feet, of, 500 feet of water, right? You hit that 500 <laughs> feet, you're just like, <laughs> you know, and I don't want to be in that free fall. I got to get up there. Well, Somehow get me there. According to the old Jimmy Johnson trade value chart, you know, the Giants are yeah. at four. Okay. If they were to move down to uh, five with Miami, or six with the Chargers, 
they could potentially procure a a higher third-round draft pick in that deal. Perfect. I have had people say, well, why don't they go down to 7, 8, or 9? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, even if you go down to 7 in Carolina, the value chart says you should get yourself a late second-round pick. Not not settle for a third. You should try to get a late number two. Now, the problem is those teams don't necessarily have the late number two because of their positioning on the board. That's right. So that's it right. makes it kind of tough. It does. you got to find you got to find somebody that you that's up in that top third round or late second round um, that's going to have picks that you want, right? It's so. a, It's a very difficult fit. To make a deal. And quite frankly, as Dave Gettleman has expressed to us many times over, when you make a deal, you always have to have that small percentage chance that you have in the back of your head that says, oh, you know what? We're not going to get the guy we want. And that's that's always a problem. That's right. That's right. And I think that that's why Dave Gettleman has not traded back in his future, in his, in his, in his pedigree. I just think that's one of the reasons why. Um, But Again, and what I've always talked about is how the Giants structure the draft board, Paul. And we've talked about this, whether it's it's you know by the grading system of their own, by how they rank their players and they draft that way. I don't know. We don't know how it's going to work this year, but we will see soon enough. Okay, Andrew Fisher with our final tweet of the day says, Simmons slash Jones or Cleveland or Becton uh, slash Queen or Bond. Which guy? Which do you guys choose? I know you feel that you would rather have Beckton and the linebacker, and I'd rather have Simmons and the offensive tackle. Well, we're getting kind of the same, right? Well, you're, you're filling you're filling both positions with your first two picks. Yeah, but in a, in the reverse order, where correct getting a better pick in Simmons at a linebacking position. Um, no, I'm. I, no, I do you know? By the way, I know. I know you still favor the offensive tackle, and I still favor Simmons, and that's fine because I don't think either way is a loss. Either way is a win, and we both agree on that. I guess my question for you, Jeff, as we get closer, and maybe you don't want to answer it this week. We still have more shows to go before the draft. I'd love to know of the top four offensive tackles on the board, which one you believe is really worth the fourth pick. You don't have to answer that today if you don't want to. Well, I'll, I'll, t- I'll give you. I'll give you my first two. I want Tristan Wurst or I want Becton. Those are my two guys. That I, those are my top two. I want Becton first. Becton That's first. My guy. Yes. If I were to take the offensive tackle, Becton would be the guy that I would take because I think he has the highest upside. And Wurst I like because I think he's I think he's one of those guys. He is so athletic. He is so big. He is so technically sound. And I've heard nothing but great things about him. Both those two guys. Okay. And we've talked to enough draft experts and guys from – around the the college landscape to cover these players. And I, I think that a lot of them would probably have that the same way. But, you know, some of them, those are my two guys. Okay. Those are my two guys right there. Okay. Yep. Good stuff from Jeff Eagles. Uh, Rich Scarcella from the Reading Eagle giving us the lowdown on Penn State's NFL draft prospects. We had a great time talking to him. Also got an insight as to Giants' new defensive line coach, Sean Spencer, known as Coach Chaos. That was an awful lot of fun. And, Jeff, uh, we've had another good time on the program. We hope everybody uh, enjoyed it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, listen, everybody have a great Easter weekend. Um, This is my last show of the week, so I wanted to say that to everybody. Stay safe, stay inside, and uh, let's all get through this together like everybody says. And I wish everybody a happy Easter out there and uh, 
Best to everybody. You too, Paul. Uh, you too as well, Jeff, and everyone else. Don't forget, you could always hit us up on Twitter at hashtag Giants Chat or go to the Giants website and leave your questions and comments there as well. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Paul Dottino. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live.